0: Blog Talk Radio Hello hello ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages This is episode 22 of the show about the show I am the creator and host of this podcast my name as always is Delwin Clark I have a very special guest coming on today I have Denver Post columnist And Rockies writer Nick Groke coming on We are going to talk about all things Colorado Rockies baseball We are going to talk about them Re-signing Carlos Gomez That super bullpen And if anybody Will be able to catch The LA Dodgers So without any further ado Ladies and gentlemen Nick Groke Nick how you doing?
1: I'm good man how are you?
0: I'm doing well. Hey, thanks for giving me some of your time today. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Yeah. All right, let's jump right in. So the Rockies are eight and ten coming into today's play in spring training. What's what's kind of the buzz around the team as to the projection with how they're going to do this year? Well, uh, I mean, it's tough to say because they're in the
1: they're in the best division probably in baseball, um, but. On paper, at least, it's essentially the same team as last year, but slightly improved. Uh, their bullpen is probably better than it was last year, and bullpen was a strength of theirs last year. Um, as far as the lineup and the, rota- the rotation, first of all, though, is, is essentially the same minus Tyler Chatwood who went to the Cubs. Um, but all of their young pitchers are back and presumably improved. Um, there were, Four of them were rookies last year. Uh, so, so they were certainly tested under fire, and they'll have that experience to work off of this season. Uh, the lineup is really the, the question. Uh, they don't hit a lot of home runs. That was an issue last year. Uh, it's one reason they brought back Carlos Gonzalez um, over the weekend, uh, signing him to a one-year deal. Uh, the, really, the questions are the questions are offensively. They led the league in runs last year, but that's the Coors Field product. They probably need to improve offensively. Um, especially on the road when they play uh, in pitchers' parks like San Diego and LA and, and San Francisco, it'll be a tough division. That's that's really the wild card as far as projections for the Rockies. But um, you know, when you when you look at the NL picture, uh, there are definitely there are definitely a handful of teams that seem like they will be competing for wild card spots. Um, and I would imagine um, between you know the Brewers, the Diamondbacks, the Rockies. Maybe the Giants, maybe the Phillies, um, and the Cardinals, a few others. the The wild card could get pretty could get pretty dicey uh, at the
0: end of the season. Makes 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 for some good TV. So you you <laughs> touched on it, Carlos, Carlos Gomez resign or I'm sorry, Carlos Gonzalez resigned. He's been um, in Colorado now for ten years. He signed a one year, five million dollar deal talk about what this off season has been like, not only for, um, not only for hitters like him, but just kind of baseball in general. You know, I'm a Twins fan and we've, we've been able to kind of reap some of the benefits of the, I would say maybe bargain um, free agent market, but talk about, uh, you know, a guy of a guy of his caliber, you would think would have gotten more than a $5 million on the free agent market. Uh, Yeah. His,
1: his was a one year and eight, but, uh, he was looking for something okay. more like three years. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, he he was definitely a product of of whatever of, of the the market falling out of out of free agency this winter. Um, he was not alone, like you said. Uh, the curious thing to me was that you know after a while, I assumed that teams would start pouncing on 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 a value market because I would you know after a while it seems prices would come way down. And that's kind of what happened with Mike Mustakas in Kansas city and, and a little bit with Carlos yep. Gonzalez in, in Colorado, but um, Jonathan Lucroy too in Oakland, uh, his, his market kind of fell out, but I don't, I didn't, it didn't, I thought it, at one point that there might be a flurry of activity for the remaining free agents. And there were a lot of them. Um, and it, it happened a little bit, but it didn't, it didn't totally correct in the way that I maybe was guessing that was a strange off season. It'll be really curious to see if it extends to next season, when the real free agency bonanza happens, uh, with with, uh, namely with Bryce Harper at the top. But um, it's a, it's a curious thing, and the players are definitely in tune with this. They're they're curious and and probably worried. I think kind of across baseball.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. You touched on it. You touched on it a few minutes ago. Let's let's kind of dive into the bullpen. So the bullpen, um, I think for the for everybody, you know, the Rockies kind of made the, the big splashes early in the offseason, almost right after the World Series ended, signing Wade Davis and Brian Shaw. You know, Brian Shaw has been an important um, cog in the Indians' bullpen for the last couple seasons, and Wade Davis, obviously, with the Royals and the Cubs previously. And then they bring back Jake McGee, who they acquired from Tampa Bay last year or January of 2016, it only cost them $106 million to do that. There's got to be some pretty high expectations that they're going to, that they're going to close the door on the game on games. Oh yeah. No, they, you know, the Rockies identified pretty early on
1: um, that they wanted to improve their bullpen. Uh, It worked for them last year. So they kind of re they re raised this off season. Um, the, it, it's, they, they did it quickly because they knew exactly what they wanted, um, and what they were willing to pay. And generally speaking, um, you know, they got, you know, the, the, it was a fair it was probably a fair price for who they got, but also the Rockies aren't completely committed. I mean, three years, um, for these pictures is probably, is not certainly not a long-term commitment. Um, Uh, They, they spent, they certainly spent money. It's not something that would cripple them probably in the long run. And they, you know, spending on a bullpen, especially in the short term can reap pretty immediate benefits. I think that's kind of essentially what they were looking at uh, with this bullpen. It helps so much to have a reliable bullpen last season behind their young rotation. And as long as, as long as this rotation remains young, uh, the Rockies I think see real value in having having a, a more a more experienced and more shut down back end of their bullpen, uh, which seems like a pretty um, pretty intelligent plan all in all uh even at course field where games can get nutty and you have to you know you have to get into you have to sacrifice one game for the sake of a long home stand because you know you're gonna have to burn your bullpen stuff like this i mean they they deal with unique issues. And the better their bullpen can be, it gives them a lot more versatility and leverage um, pitching at Coors Field. I think that's kind of what they were going for um, with their bullpen, and they can point to they can point to results from last season as being evidence of, of why that might work.
0: Yeah, and you you talked about you talked about the guys in the bullpen last year, um, specifically Jake McGee. You know, you, you mentioned the home and road splits, how the Rockies tend to not hit the ball very well on the road or pitch very well on the road Jake McGee last year had a 4.73 ERA at Coors Field and a 2.64 mark on the road so, but he decided to re-sign nonetheless in a situation like that what? I mean that's almost that's a two run difference What what's going on is it just the altitude at Coors Field or was it something else last year with the Rockies
1: Yeah, well, I mean it's funny when you I mean you mentioned that his home number uh, and you kind of allude to it being large to me, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good ERA for Coors field, to be honest. Um, and the, the problem though, is not like pitching at Coors field and then pitching on the road. It's, it's the, it's what happens when you go from one to the other, it, you know, it does, you, you know, pitchers are often, they often find difficulty, not just at Coors field, but the the process of going from one to the other, they have to completely change their sights their rest and recovery um, routines are changed, home to road. It takes longer to recover at altitude. There's less a less oxygen in the blood. Um, but and then their pitches. I mean, some pitches work completely differently on the road at home. It's a total adjustment. So it's not necessarily it's not necessarily pitching at altitude that causes the problem um, alone. It's it's the transfer from one to the other. And you'll see pretty often, like. You know, even, even if there's a rest day in between a road trip and a homestand, or a homestand and a road trip, you often see pitchers who pitch the final game at a homestand at course not pitch the first game on the road to allow them to to throw and sort of acclimate themselves even to sea level, um, just to just to sort of regain regain their sights on the on their pitches. Uh, it's it's a, it's a it's an issue that can that probably will never not be. Um, something that pitchers have to deal with at Coors Field or pitching for the Rockies, uh, but they're figuring it out. The, I mean, the thing is, the, you know, the, you know, the, a lot of times, you know, you'll hear the counter argument as well, both teams have to pitch at Coors Field and that's true. But uh, you know, if the twins come to Denver for an interleague series, they only have to, they only, their pitchers only have to pitch three games. there. The Rockies pitchers are pitching eight, one games. Um, what they need to do or what they've kind of tried to do is find an advantage of Familiarity. The they have to deal with it more often. They have to deal with the negatives more often than visiting teams. True, but they also know how to deal with it better than visiting teams, um, because they're they're more they're more familiar with <laughs> with the changes. So I mean, I, I, they they have they have begun to sort of embrace this idea more than shy away from it. I think in in recent seasons, which is encouraging for them.
0: Absolutely. You look at. You look at the Rockies' opening day uh, roster. The, on SB Nation, the the Rockies community uh, purple row page projects the Rockies' opening roster. They project their starting rotation to consist of John Gray, Tyler Anderson, Chad Bettis, Herman Marquez, and Kyle Freeland. That that seem to be about right, based on what you've heard. Uh, that does seem about right. Although I,
1: I would maybe put the order uh, differently. Uh, the five of them is what is what I would guess. That would that would be my guess at the moment. Um, Gray is definitely their number one. Tyler Anderson was going to pitch if they'd won the wild card last year and and didn't need to use him in the wild card game. He was going to pitch game one of the NLDS against the Dodgers. So he's he is he is likely their number two. I think going into this season. Um, I think Herman Marquez is is their number 3. He he was a rookie last season. He was very good. He was one of the he was the only rookie who essentially lasted through the end of last season. Um, sure. and then Bettis and Freeland at the back. Bettis Bettis being pretty important um because he, even even though he's uh, you know, still 28, 29 years old, uh he's the, by far the veteran member of their staff. Uh he his presence I think in the rotation court teaching. Numbers statistically, uh, his, his presence is very important. So, yeah, yeah. And, and then Kyle Freeland has been pretty good in spring. He's not walking anybody, which they most certainly like um, among Rockies coaches. So, yeah, what you know, basically Gray Anderson Marquez Bettis Freeland, I think is probably is probably the, the rotation going into the season. If I had to guess right now.
0: Two obvious names that were left off of there, according to to the uh, Purple Row, is Jeff Hoffman and Antonio Senzatella. They say both of whom could easily claim spots in the rotation with a strong spring. What about those two guys' chances? You know, it looks like we are having some technical difficulties. It looks like Nick uh, may have lost connection as to where he was at. Uh, we'll try to get him back on the air here, but he—it uh, looks like he did—he did, he did um, the call did drop. So, but uh, we're going to continue on with this anyway. So it looks like the two obvious names left off were Jeff Hoffman and Antonio Senzatella. They have the eight relief pitchers that Purple Row projects. Obviously, Wade Davis, Jake McGee, Brian Shaw. Those are kind of givens. And then you also have Adam Ottavino, Mike Dunn, Chris Rusin, Scott Oberg, and Carlos Estevez. Um, they're saying that uh, Rusin, Dunn, and Adovino, along with Davis, McGee, and Shaw, are pretty much... Pretty much uh, penciled in unless something crazy happens. Oberg appeared to have have earned Bud Black's trust over last season and should be a lock for the seventh spot. The spot that they have Carlos Estevez in is the spot that, according to them, it could get it could get interesting in. They also have um, Zach Roskop, who doesn't have any options, which might seem to give him a leg up. But he was a lefty specialist in the bullpen, and they have three other lefties in that bullpen. So that might hurt his chances. And given Estevez is the best reliever, so they're projecting that he gets the final spot. You know, I thought it was interesting when Nick was saying about how they need to hit home runs. You look at this team, and they have Blackman and Mayhew and Story and and Gonzalez and all these You know they have power hitters, and it's it's kind of surprising as to how few home runs that they actually hit last year. I didn't I didn't think that that he was going to come on and say that say that you know the rocky one of the Rockies' issues was needing to hit home runs. You know that that's kind of a that's kind of an interesting um, dynamic that he had or that he mentioned because you know Coors Field. You know, obviously, I, I other than being a casual or a casual Rockies observer, even though I'm a diehard baseball fan, you would think that you know the rock that Coors Field has always been known to have inflated numbers. I mean, Mike Hampton signed there; he had great years with the Mets and the Astros, and he goes there for you know what was it, ten years and a hundred million or 126 or something like that, and he has a terrible, terrible, terrible ending to his career. So. um I you know I was really surprised in the ball carries there obviously because the high altitude Nick kind of mentioned it you know the the Rockies players have to adjust to that and their pitchers and things like that so I, I thought that was really really interesting when he mentioned about when he talked about that. Purple Row has the catchers as the starter is Chris Iannetta and the backup is Tony Walters recently signed Iannetta easily takes the spot. Walters wins the second spot because of his ability to left right platoon with Ionetta, but watch out for Tom Murphy. His bat would provide consist- considerably more punch to the um to the lineup and he has a lot to prove in spring training to get that spot. Obviously infield is where they're very, very strong. They have Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story and D.J. LeMahieu, among others. They also have Ryan McMahon, etc. This is the easiest group of the groups to figure out because unless the Rockies acquire another 40-man, or I'm sorry, another first baseman before the season, the five infielders currently on the 40-man roster will be the five on the roster. Pat Valiaka's ability to back up every position allows the Rockies to carry the eighth reliever, which obviously, you know, they need um, a lot of help in doing that. So it's it's one of those things where they they can use a lot of help in the pitching department. So that was uh, that was uh, one of the one of the big things. So Nick did get disconnected, and he did send me a message saying he has some other stuff he has to get to, so he will not be rejoining us, but. He, uh, I do thank him for his time. He was able to give us a good 15 minutes or so. Um, the outfield situation for the Rockies is interesting. This is actually, uh, the per- purple row says that this is probably the hardest group to figure out due to a couple of tough players. If it was a matter of just picking the most talented outfielder of the bunch, it would be a lot easier because Ramil Tapia would be on the roster. However, it's about development contracts, playing time. As it is with any team, you're not going to bench a guy making five or six million dollars for a rookie who's playing, who's making you know five hundred and fifty thousand or whatever the league minimum is. Obviously, Charlie Blackman is you know he's one of the top players in the game of baseball. He's locked into this into one spot. They also they list Charlie Blackman, Ian Desmond, Dave Dahl, Gerardo Par- Parra and Mike Toshman um, as the five Rockies outfielders. Purple Rose says it really only leaves one starting outfield spot with Blackman, Parra, and Desmond on the roster. Dahl or Tapia is going to make the roster, with the other one going to A to get more playing time. They're working under the assumption that that goes to Dahl. Tapia could benefit from some additional um, time in AAA to work on his defense. So you know it's it's going to be really interesting and and when Nick was on he was talking about he was talking about how that bullpen um needs to be really really good because of the fact that they play in probably the toughest division in baseball you look at that NL West obviously the Los Angeles the LA Dodgers are the cream of the crop you know we don't need to go over their roster Everybody knows who the Dodgers have. Seager, Bellinger, Kershaw, Puig, Turner, and the list goes on and on. It's, it's a, basically an all team. But then you look at a team like the Giants, who have made two really interesting pickups this year, this offseason. They picked up Evan Longoria and his contract from the Tampa Bay Rays, He, obviously, third base. They had re-signed Pablo Sandoval last year. Don't know how that's going to work out, so I'm assuming that they're going to have Evan Longoria in there. You also look at, obviously, having Hunter Pence, and you have, like I said, the other one that they picked up was Andrew McCutcheon to play, I'm assuming, probably center field or right field. So, that team has a lot of offense as well. Brandon Belt, guys like that, so and then you look at the D-backs, obviously, Paul Goldschmidt is the face of that franchise. They have a lot of talent. That whole division is really, really, really tough, like Nick said. the uh, And people look at a team like the Padres, and the Padres may not look very um, strong on paper, but they actually have the number one farm system in all of baseball, according to um, – ESPN's Keith Law and other outlets as well. So, um, you know, it's one of those things that, like Nick said, the the Rockies are really kind of banking that they will be, that the bullpen of McGee, Davis, and Shaw will be the strength of that team, and they're going to need it to be because when they go – you know, when you have to play seventy six games or whatever the case is, ninety games against your interdivision rivals and you have all these you have all these teams with these, you know, Goldschmidts and Longoria's and Turner's and Tweeds and McCutcheons and and all these players coming in, you need a strong bullpen and a great pitching staff to be able to handle that and that's that's what I think the rockies are are shooting towards um but yeah, so the Rockies are eight and ten this year in spring training in cactus league play. They are scheduled to play um the Dodgers today, or I guess tonight it's it's a it's a night game right now. The the leaders, the spring training leaders, Dave Dahl, obviously we mentioned him, and the Purple Row mentioned him. Um, is four home He's got four home runs and 13 RBIs this spring training, but he's only hitting 205. So low batting average, and, you know, spring training matters. Spring training numbers obviously don't matter a whole lot. There are some numbers that matter for players, for certain players, it's more about just kind of stretching out and getting getting back to working a full 162 game season or getting getting stretched out to work that. Um, Dave Dahl is also their leader and runs batted in with 13 RBIs this spring training. So for a guy fighting for the um, you know for the fourth outfield spot, he's he, he's playing pretty well. Charlie Blackman, obviously, you know, won the batting title last year. He hit three thirty one, just beat, or beat Daniel Murphy, who hit three twenty two, and Justin Turner, who hit three twenty two. Blackman and Arenado both hit 37 home runs. They were way behind Jim Carlos Stanton, but they still had a very, very good season. Arenado drove in 130 RBIs. So you're going to see a lot of you're going to see a lot of numbers unsurprisingly for the Rockies offensively and I think what Nick was was getting at was that ownership and management have have been trying to and they made the commitment to basically um you know, reconstruct the bullpen and reconstruct the pitching staff. He talked about, obviously, John Gray's their are number one, and they they need contributions from all four of those – or I'm sorry, all five of those guys. So it's it's one of those things that, you know, you just you, – you play in that division, and you, you have to hope that, you know, in that division, you win – you know, a third to half your games. If you can win half your games versus those those teams in your division, you're doing pretty well. I mean, Greg Holland last year, he was their closer. He had 41 saves, and they didn't even re- bother resigning him. They talked to him. They couldn't come to an agreement. And they moved on to um, to Wade Davis. And as far as I know, Greg Holland, I believe is. In- Still on the Yeah, he is. Um, Scott Boris is his agent. He says the closer is finding his client's new contracts. Boris says, Boris tells John Rossi of MLB Network, quote, we're closer to deals than we were two weeks ago. Some of these things are only a phone call away. He may not, um, so the spin on that, the, the hot take is Holland may not need as much time as a starting pitcher to get ready for the regular season, but it's getting late enough in spring training that his opening day availability might be in question, even if he signs soon. So it's one of those things like Nick talked about too, the weird, it's a weird market. And he, he mentioned that, you know, players are aware of it and it'll be really interesting to play out to see what plays out over the next year, because, you know, like he said, next year the two prize free agents are Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, some people are saying he's going to get a four hundred to five hundred million dollar contract. That remains to be seen. We'll see if it can beat A-Rod's, um Rod's all time single or single contract or Gene Carl Stanton's contract, but. It's going to be interesting Um, You know, you you have to look at You look at the Rockies And like Nick said They're a team that, you know if, If things fall their way correctly It's very possible That they could compete For a wild card spot He mentioned a whole bunch of other teams That could as well the one that, the one team that he threw in there that I thought was interesting was the Cardinals. You know, the Cardinals have been consistently good, and a lot of that goes to Mike Matheny in the front office. You know that that organization has just been really, really good, and they've they've turned out young players. and They have Alex Reyes and Luke Weaver, and a lot of talent on that team. So for him to to hear him say that they might be a wild card contender. It's very interesting. I mean, they they play in probably one of the easier divisions. They really only have one team above them, and that's the Cubs. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens. All right, I am going to wrap up this episode. I do apologize again. Nick did get cut off, and he had he got uh, called into uh, a a few other phone calls that he had to take. So he was not able to come back and rejoin us. But we did get 15, 15 minutes with Denver post-columnist Nick Groke, and we will see if we can maybe have him back on sometime after the season starts. Stay tuned. Got lots. Got, got a couple more episodes today, including another edition of Collector's Corner, where I'm going to talk with the host of the podcast, Let Me Get That Podograph as well as New York Times best-selling author and author of over 20 books on baseball, the Yankees, King Kelly, Thurman Munson, and many others, Nick, uh, we are going to talk with the best-selling author, Marty Apple. He is going to talk about his book that just came out, regarding Casey Stengel. It just won the Casey Award. It's it's available in paperback next week. So we're going to talk about all that and more. Marty's going to give me an hour of his time tonight. It's going to be a fun conversation, so make sure you guys stick around for that. As always, this episode and every episode is dedicated to the memory of my dad. If you have the chance to donate to disabled veterans or any veterans organization, I ask that you please do so. Let's make sure that as we go through each day, we're living our lives positively. We're doing things to help others, to make others' lives easier. We're spreading love, joy, compassion, and laugh. Because after all, we all love baseball, but we could all stand to be a lot more kinder. Ladies and gentlemen, kindness is where it's at. Thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the show about the show.